Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. I'm Michael McNutt, Weedy's Director of Events and Education. Today we hear from Angie Bass, Chief Strategy Officer with Velatura Public Benefit Corporation. Angie discusses health data utilities, how they're different from HIEs, and why it's the next step toward interoperability and better public health. Good afternoon, um, Angie Bass. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Bellatora uh, Public Benefit Corporation, um, which is affiliated with the My, uh, Michigan Health Information Network. Um, and, and also we have um, uh, Midwest Health Connection now, also known as the Bellatora HIE Corporation. So generally our mission and our organization and, and um, uh, is focused on providing interoperability services and within the HIE community and within the provider and payer community, bringing them together. Um, and one of the initiatives that we have absolutely bought into and are robustly advocating not only for ourselves, but certainly for our compadres across the country is to advance health information exchanges and their networks to become health data utilities. And the, the importance of this evolution is uh, multifaceted. One, health information exchanges have been historically and notably stricken with um, uh, sustainability issues and also making sure that um, uh, predominantly as nonprofit organizations, uh, value proposition is incredibly important. Um, but there are also entities that have lots of um, costs related to providing high quality interoperability services and, and need lots of partners along the way, not only from, from data sources, but also vendors. And so um, knowing that HIEs need to always be at the forefront of providing interoperability services to meet regulatory requirements, data source um, needs and quality reporting, better health outcomes, health equity. Um, uh, we, we, we found that COVID was actually sort of the silver lining. COVID is the thing that really substantiated the importance of having health information exchanges be the mechanism and the vessel to get um, lots of data moving quickly and made available to uh, the ecosystem of healthcare. And so using the need to evolve along with the, the impetus of COVID and, and now we know what we need to know to deal with the pandemic, but um, all of those needs are sort of at a day-to-day -day level. Also, um, some of the leaders in our, or in our industry uh, created uh, health data utility, the concept of a health data utility, which in essence is basically just saying that the, uh, having a digital health infrastructure is a, is and needs to be uh, implemented and regulated and, and, and contributed to as a public utility. And, and so what we uh, are advocating for is to um, leverage what HIEs do well, which is um, we're good at aggregating data. We are good at patient identification. Um, and we are good at making sure we do um, uh, being a connector of, of more than just clinical data sets. And so leveraging those three strengths to provide services to an, the healthcare ecosystem at large. 
um, to, to evolve from just um, providing data exchange services uh, predominantly with, with uh, clinical providers and health plans. Data utility means that we can leverage the infrastructure that we've spent more than a decade building using our, our patient matching to be able to provide services now to community-based organizations, state agencies and their, and their various registries, um, uh, non-typical providers and state agencies, so like Department of Corrections or Departments of Education, um, and uh, also working with supply chain and procurement opportunities. So thinking of health data as all kinds of health data whether that is clinical or non-clinical um, claims, uh, socioeconomic data, demographic data, uh, supply data, all of that that is necessary to know, um, putting that all on top of a centralized infrastructure that is maintained and regulated and supported by, as a utility, and then thereby all of the stakeholders in the healthcare community use the data that it provides and has now aggregated, cleansed, normalized, and patient and, and patient matched. Um, and a centralized using it as a public utility and only paying for the services as value-added services. That really flips the economic model that has tradi traditionally stricken HIEs. And so this really puts us off on a better foot and making sure that uh, we are in coordination and orchestration as just being the centralizers of data. Because what we know is that storage of data, connecting the pipes of just going and bringing in data from all kinds of disparate data sources, nobody makes money on that. No one has the ability to, to maintain lots of infrastructure um, without having a really strong business model to back it up. HIEs are just traditionally mostly care about just doing the basics of pipe building and getting data connecting, aggregating it, normalizing it, and making it valuable to the stakeholders at large. So in essence, how can we aggregate data across the entire ecosystem, across communities, registries, providers, payers, et cetera, put it all together, make it make sense, and hand it over to a stakeholder, say, go do great things with it, go Go create a better payment model. Go evaluate where you where your most um, uh, high utilizer patients are, or where do we need to deploy resources, whether they be human or clinical or re or community based resources, um, most effectively, uh, because we are now able to aggregate different types of data and make it make sense in different and various reporting tools dashboards, data visualization um, items, all of the things that really matter to be able to demonstrate the power of data that when it is collected across multiple data sources and organized and visualized, uh, that is a piece of business intelligence to help us do the business of healthcare interoperability better. Um, and so one of the ways that we are working as a community of HIEs to advance health data utility is we are definitely um, driving some robust advocacy um, uh, activities on, not only on Capitol Hill, but also at the state level. So uh, working with HIEs to help them uh, give advocacy 
uh, tools and messaging to take not only to their state legislatures and uh, agencies, but also to their congressional delegations as well. Uh, right now, our focus is um, focus is making sure that we get support for the health information exchanges to be defined in law, as well as health data utilities to be defined, clearly defined. Without definition, it makes it really hard to assign appropriation. Um, and then to speak that health information exchanges are evolving to become health data utilities and that states should engage in and deploy them in every state and that there should be a corresponding appropriation either through uh, or through a combination of HHS um, or other agencies that might be interested in doing some cost sharing on the appropriation. Um, and then at state levels, the same, we are working um, to support HIEs to go and sort of mimic what we're pushing for at the federal level to go and look for um, statutory authority and corresponding appropriations to be able to deploy health data utility in their region or states. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do it. So no, no one way, no wrong way. Um, but we know that um, just sticking, HIEs can no longer just be vessels of just clinical information, they need to expand. And um, what we also know is the value that we provide to the interoperability community at large and those stakeholders that need the data that we have is that the infrastructure that we have presently, if you can't replicate it overnight, it took it more than a decade, two decades in some cases to build, and it's not easily, um, uh, easily replicatable. So instead of starting over, um, we, we, we desire to optimize, enhance, and build on top of that infrastructure and focus on data quality uh, to make sure that the data that we intend to collect is actually usable. It's not a trash in, trash out kind of model, but it is actually usable data that is robust and cleansed and normalized and thereby provides value to the stakeholders in real time. Um, and that it's not stale data and it is properly secured and protected. And, and then the other side of it is HIEs have also been historically uh, really good at making sure that data flows when it should and when it shouldn't, following not only federal law, but also local and state laws. Um, so acting as the traffic cop is a really complicated job. Oftentimes, HIEs will say, you know, the easy part of what we do is the technology. The hard part is doing all of the compliance um, uh, pieces of it and, and, and the policy pieces of it and making sure that we can map the policy to the technology. So uh, that is also a job that no one wants to pay for in the, <laughs> in, the, in the community at large, but it is absolutely crucial to do it. And it is a, it's actually one of the things that HIEs do well. So uh, in short, before I uh, maybe open up for questions or transition to your next topic, uh, health data utilities are, are, are not, I would say we're past the gaining momentum phase. We already have several states that have designated their HIEs to become health data utilities and several more are going to happen in this year. And I do think that we will be successful in getting some federal legislation um, and appropriation passed. So crossing our fingers on that. All to say and to drive towards better health data interoperability 
to evolve HIEs to be a part of the digital um, health infrastructure fabric that really places us as a public utility. Uh, and we do think that that is the best model to not only serve provide the provider community but and the stakeholder community, but also um, at, we are very focused on making sure that we start to meet patient expectations around availability of data and interoperability of data. Um, and it's this is the this is the long strategy um, and the long term plan. It is not going to be an overnight strategy, uh, but we do think it is a it's a winning strategy and working across the industry to make sure that we um, work together. Uh, and and get a lot of um, support and buy-in from um, uh, from the community at large that might be beneficiaries of this new model. So groups like this are certainly important to uh, make you aware of what we're up to and what we're working on and to see how we might fit into your strategies and be able to leverage what we're really trying to build in this digital fabric across the, across the country. And I will pause there. Hey, Angie, this is Mark Medirian. I have a question for you. Can you hear me okay? I can. So when you were talking about like these differentiators, can you say more about these differentiators between a, a health information exchange and a health data utility? You talked, I think, a bit about it being partially like a change in the financial model? Is there also a change in maybe even the technology model? If you were going to give this sort of short bulleted list of the differentiators, if you know somebody stopped you in an elevator in the hallway and just said, boom, real quick, what are the things that differentiate this? What would be your answer to that? Transitioning first, the first part of it is transitioning from just being a technology service provider to becoming a public utility. And then that public utility thereby then changes the business model from everybody pays for all of the services and the infrastructure to if you are a stakeholder, you're only paying for the value added services that the infrastructure then provides and is subsidized through um, local state and federal funding to maintain the operation and that it, it has a level of governance that is not just a nonprofit board anymore. It is, um, it is a governance model that is inclusive of, of the stakeholders at large. A lot of times this, this is anticipated to mean that state agencies are going to contribute to the data governance um, as well as other uh, stakeholder members. So really transitioning it from uh, 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 an HRE might be the contractor that does the infrastructure work and, and, but will take its direction obviously from the health data utility that is likely to be uh, established by a state through their public health or their Medicaid agency. Got it. Okay, great. Thank you. Great question. Um, one thing that I should add that, and I didn't say the words um, as frequently as I do, but um, I, I would say that one of the premier drivers for all of this and, and going back to COVID was our moment, uh, sort of our 9-11 in healthcare and interoperability. Um, health equity is, is, 
is a foundational principle in our in our world for in most people's world right now. And we as a community absolutely believe that you really can't have true health equity without data inclusion. Just your your activities to support health equity, anything, any initiative need need better data, need more data um, that is representative of the ecosystem at large. And that is not just clinical data. And so a big part of why it's a utility is because of that diversification of data sources that we now um, intend to be inclusive in the data sets that we um, collect from at large. So health equity really being representative at the forefront of of one of the drivers of why to do it. um, And also one of the drivers to hopefully get the most low hanging fruit uh, representation of the value of doing it in the first place. So you probably have a lot of challenges around uh, person matching, member matching, data matching and all of that, and yet probably have de-identification and other sort of, you know, masking of things as that data gets shared outward. Is that accurate? Um, well, patient identification is sort of the crux of what we do and our master patient indexes are one of the biggest assets that we have, sort of the source of truth for data. So uh, we spend a lot of effort and energy, um, time, money, and expense on making sure that we have patient matching platforms and solutions and applications that are robust and, and astute because if we can't match data, we really don't have data to share with anyone. So patient matching is really the crux of making it all happen in the first place. Let's see, I have a question from Teresa. HH, I'm sorry. You mentioned HHS as an agency in funding and other state agencies. Can you expand on that? Um, Yeah, I think that we have um, uh, some interest in not only under the HHS umbrella, like NIH and CDC um, and certainly ONC and CMS, um, but I think there's opportunities to collaborate with the VA, certainly, um, and potentially the DOD. And um, also um, uh, with uh, agencies that work and, in, and support some of the Native American affairs. So I think that there's lots of opportunities to build it once and repurpose it a number of times. And that is really the purpose of, of using the HIEs to start building the infrastructure on top of the basic con- web of connectivity to provide the um, the services and the reporting and the analytics to, to once we put the data together, what does it mean and how can we make the value out of, of providing those tool sets or those data sets, whether they're raw data sets or, or packaged reports um, to various agencies, both state and federal and local, um, uh, that is, fits their needs. Um, and and how can how can one report be utilized across agencies or modifications thereof? And and so that's really where I think we um, are seeing a lot of opportunity. So, Angie, I have two questions. So the first one is maybe you can describe a bit about what the COVID moment looked like for an HIE, kind of what the call to action was and how 
you as an HDU were able to really help support the needs of both your provider and, and the state and others who needed that data? Um, I So COVID was the moment that said, oh my gosh, we don't have all the data we need from all the, <laughs> all the places we need it. And even if we did, we had no mechanism to aggregate it, normalize it, and produce it in a meaningful way to CDC or CMS or HHS or VA, DOD um, to, to go and deploy resources where we need them. And so um, that that's the infrastructure piece. I think what it did was uh, place HIEs into one of two categories. The HIEs who, to be frank, have been well-funded and been supported by their state agencies, whether it's public health or Medicaid, thrived. They became invaluable, not only to the states, but to the CDC. Um, and they were able to spin up uh, bed capacity things and add on easily because they had support, they had funding, and they had infrastructure to just go and do it quickly. And then there was the other group of HIEs who have not enjoyed that benefit, who were not able to play, who were on the sidelines to be able to say, I, I, I'll, I'll try and get you um, immunization reporting, but it, the infrastructure I'm going to need, it's going to, I have to buy it. I have no money to buy it. And then I have to do it. It's all things that they wanted to be able to do, but have never been properly funded or supported to be able to in the moment do it. And so so what COVID did was to say, yes, HIEs were the solution. And if we had uniformly supported them for the last decade across the country, oh, where we would be right now, as opposed to we had, we had pockets. And pockets of where those HIEs are across the country were not enough to provide enough data in, in the moment to the agencies and the and the you know, resource allocators um, enough to be able to cohesively get enough of picture of the country of what was happening. And so our moment in the sense that it was the validation we needed for the few that proved the model, that proved the value and the use case, and also to say, now we've got to bring the rest of them up to par. And now that we know what we know, having been HIEs for more than a decade, Let's evolve them to be that util a public utility because a public utility is the best thing to be able to help address a pandemic and really everyday healthcare needs. Did you have a second question, Linda? I did. So I'm curious to what extent you're currently ingesting or bringing in SDOH data and what type and in what format? As I mentioned, that's sort of one of the topics that, you know, I think this group can address, but it'd be interesting to hear um, sort of, you know, even if it's just a tip of the iceberg, what you're either doing or thinking of doing. Well, we're spending uh, a lot of time on this topic, uh, on ingesting the data. Um, but before you get to the ingestion, it's alignment on the specifications of how, how we are going to accept it across the community, across regions. Um, and so I'd start with what we are doing in several of the markets that um, Bellatora represents, just, just in particular, 
is that we are actually working with the communities and the vendors in the um, community information exchange space to say, let's, we have an interoperability pledge, for example, where we're saying, let's get you all to agree for, uh, to A, to be inclusive in the referral relationship of SDOH data uh, so that the HIEs are included. And that when we are included, that the data formats um, look like A, B, and C, and you're gonna do it uniformly. And I think that I mentioned that because what we have learned at, at in the HIE world is where we can start at the beginning to get cooperation and uniformity of data specifications, we are far better off um, and can get farther faster when we have that uh, in a line. Uh, HIEs are typically stricken by, you know, we say, we don't care what electronic health record vendor you have. We also don't care what, you know, community information exchange vendor you want to work with or which registry vendor you want to work with. And what that forces us to do is to say, okay, this is your way. This is your way. This is your way. It's all the same, you know, ADT interface or ORU or, or whatever it is. But we as the HIEs have to adapt every one, every one off by one off by one off, even sometimes deferentials of the same vendor in order to get the data out, get the data in and send it on to someone else. And that, that is the work that no one gets paid for. No one makes money on that work. And that's also why HIEs are primed to do that work because of our mission, community mission to provide uh, community benefit. And so I start going back to that when we can get alignment, that just leads to going further faster. Um, we are also working in, with the Gravity Project to um, align on standards and how we get the data. We are ingesting some data today with um, and, and some of the existing interfaces that we have um, through ADTs and CCDs. Um, but I will, in, in our space, any changes to data acquisition to different interfaces are very costly um, and connecting to them. And so that's the business model problem is how are those activities subsidized? So, you know, hopefully working with states on their 1115 waiver activities to be able to fund and support is one thing. We have, when you have that and you have standardization of data sets um, and, and, and transactions, then, then you can go further faster. So I have, we have a whole team that is focused on the actual data set, which I'm, they, I'm not the right person to speak to all of that. Um, but uh, it is something where we do have, you know, a handful of subject matter experts on that. Um, and I'm happy to make them available to anybody on the call because they're the ones that are living and breathing it every day. Great. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Janice says, doesn't a model having data cleaned after it's been sent somewhere else just encourage bad data practices at the source? enable poor data quality at the source and extend to all the other data exchanged by that organization. Um, yeah, <laughs> it does. But it's right now, um, providers or data sources, what they may be, uh, whether it's registries or payers or, or providers or community-based providers are not 
incentivized to send quality data um, generally. Now, some states are different. Some Medicaid and some um, uh, Medicaid payers are uh, providing some incentives at some level for data quality. But in general, there is no um, financial trigger to incentivize data sources to make sure they're sending good data. Right now, the incentive is to check the box. Are you sending it? Yes, I am. Check. I get my reimbursement. And it's not substantial. And so part of the data utility model is also inclusive of making sure that when we use that governance structure that says, oh, we're going to collect data from all these different data sources, it is also inclusive of mapping it back to why, who needs the data, why do they need it, and, and what is the um, carrot stick that's going to be used to make sure that everyone plays by the rules and setting the rules as a public utility. So, so yes, but we, that's the piece that we have to change. And, and we all know sort of the motives that change behavior um, in this space. Sorry, that was probably pretty <laughs> blunt. <laughs> Other questions for Angie, either in the chat or um, in the... Uh, the audience. This one is something that actually I've been working on recently, Angie, um, and you mentioned working with VA and other institutions. Is veteran status and other things related to veterans, is that something you guys think about or work on or deal with? Um, veteran engagement act and is definitely high on our on our priority list. Um, most of our most HIEs are are either connected or in the process of connecting to their to the VA or their local VA facilities. Um, both they're two different types of connections. So one is the VA um, corporate, and then one is to their local uh, regional facilities. Um, and so most I would say most most HIEs are already. Uh, connected or in the process of making sure that they are included in clinical data exchange activities with the VA. Okay. I mean, one of the things, and, you know, we don't have to get too deep on this, but one of the things that we, we talk about sometimes is we talk about using activity at a VA as a way to infer veteran status versus having like a discrete value or a specific source that contains explicit statements about veteran status. And sure. I don't know if that's something that you guys ever have to think about, but that's something that that we, we think about? Um, so I think that that could be part of a data governance assumption or um, I, I think generally at large HIEs do not take the approach to make a designation um, or change clinical information. Uh, it's what we get is what we have and that's what right. we display. It's really a pass-through type of relationship. I think with AI, um, you know, coming forward and, and really being a huge piece of our future that those types of activities will actually potentially be sort of more rudimentary and, and customary. Um, and I think that that is also as a result of COVID sort of giving us this enlightening of 
where are we hypersensitive on data, health data, and where do we now know we have some, we have less sensitivity of because we want it and it's going to be helpful. I think pre-COVID, it was still very much a, a locked down policy environment. I think some things have definitely dramatically relaxed, but we still have inequities between technology advancements and, and health policy um, and data sharing specifically. So we really have to bring that into, um, into parity. And there's work to be done there, especially in behavioral health, as, as I'm sure this group is, is certainly familiar. But um, and then and then also patient consent. So um, I think status is, uh, you know, um, it's it's an opportunity. And, and I don't think that if any HIEs did it today, that there would be much pushback. But I think generally it's just been a very conservative approach for yeah. not doing that type of uh, relationship determination. Yeah, that's that's my experience as well. Thank you. But specifically, that example is an example where the HIEs would like to work with communities like this to say, is that something that you want to change? Because to be honest, I mean, we want it to work. We want it to be valuable. If that is a value add and we can write an algorithm to say, if this, then that, then that's amazing. We would love to do that. We don't see us as the obstacle for not doing it. Just know that there's some compliance department or departments or some governing thing that is prohibiting us from think doing that on our, you know, at large. We've probably already wanted to do it. Someone else has probably already asked for it as well. But as a community, if we can garner support for it, then we're happy to do those types of things. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. You know, being in that role myself, sometimes it's about somebody asks you to point to the source of truth from which you got a specific value and that you didn't infer it, impute it, calculate it, you right. know, all those kinds of things. I, I get that because when you can always point to an upstream source from which it came, you don't have to then have to defend an algorithm or an ML model or something like that. So, right. yeah, I, I get you. But then on the other hand, we have examples where if you just rely on that data, you could say, well, if you just looked at their activity at a VA, you might have people that aren't leveraging their services. Therefore, that may have been the gap or that may have been the population you're trying to address and the very nature of how you found out about them through activity at a VA might be the very reason that they're not showing up in your data set. And that's exactly the sort of missed opportunity. So it, it, it presents yeah. challenges. Yeah. And then to, you know, just add to that, the opportunity with health data utility and engaging with various stakeholders is, you know, where can we just get roster data on in real time from agencies and departments uh, to be able to actually formally um, confirm that the status, whether it's VA or Medicare or Medicaid beneficiaries, like I, that, that's that's the opportunity. Um, or foster children. So where can we get updated roster information about who is who and, and on what programs? Right, exactly, yep. And then you wouldn't have to impute it. That's exactly right. Questions? Oh, I got one. Uh, what role, if any, will HIEs play in prior auth? Oh, great question. Huge role. Um, this is uh, actually one of the things that um, I, I know my own organization and many other HIE organizations 
are, are, are working towards right now on making sure we've got the services to be able to deliver on prior auth automation and being a part of that. Um, it makes just a lot of sense. Uh, we've got the demo, you know, we've got the uh, patient matching information. We have the payer relationships. Um, we've got the, the clinical information, data sets. We can provide, you know, obviously an aggregate of information. Um, and we have the, the connectivity into the um, providers to be, so it doesn't have to be a net new connection. So um, definitely interested in being uh, a service provider for prior trial. I think this is excellent, Angie. We really appreciate your time. And, you know, it's hard to be in the hot seat here. So thank you so much. Our folks get real in the weeds and that can scare a lot of speakers, but you handled it like a champ and we really appreciate it. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT community connects, collaborates and creates solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, weedy.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.